The second part of my research was on, uh, I did a number of interviews and surveys, and it was hundreds of interviews. I collected thousands of survey responses to get the data, because I wanted to zoom in and find what does the profile of an innovation leader look like in terms of what does their DNA look like if we go right down deep. And you think that double helix model is an interesting model because it's got the two sides and, and again, equate this to exploration and preservation. And when you unravel it, you can see how you've got those rungs connecting the paradox pairs, freedom, control, etc. When I looked statistically at the results, they matched a lot of what I'd seen in the quali qualitative data. So I saw first of all, that there were innovation pathways, so there were causal relationships within each of these orientations, and there were statistically significant interrelationships within the orientations. But what I identified was you have to start with freedom, so you have to create a foundation of freedom in order to enable openness, in order to enable collaboration, in order to get more flexibility, which was the presenting dimension of exploration. Same thing on the other side. You needed some control, some guidelines, in order to get more focus, in order to enable more independence, in order to have more stability. So there were these innovation pathways, and that's a clue to where you can start in the organisation. Where do I start with bringing in these concepts? Start with freedom, start with some guidelines, not too much of either. They need to be held in tension and counterbalancing. The second thing I identified statistically was that there are also interconnections between the two orientations, which when you map it out, it actually looks like the paradox perspective. They're both very highly connected. And that creates a web of interconnection that can support innovation, a platform that supports innovation. The third thing I found was the profile of an innovation leader, which surprised me. I did expect them to be high on exploration, and they were on all four dimensions of exploration. But they also had one factor that was really strong on the preservation side, and that was independence. So innovation leaders are highly exploratory, but they can also push ideas through to implementation effectively. They have that independence. When I um, pulled all of these results together, I created graphs of different occupational groupings, different types. That's what I'll show you next, but just to explain the graphs quickly, you'll see that you have the, the Paradox pairs coming down the graph, freedom, control, and then I gave them names, so challenger versus conserver, explorer versus preserver. And when you read the graph, you're looking at the orange bars, so where there's an, a long orange bar going across to one side, the exploration orientation, you have a stronger emphasis there, and that's represented by a blue dot. In the second example, I show you a stronger preservation orientation on the area of focus with a blue dot. Uh, the next line shows ambidexterity, so you have both equally and two blue dots on either side. So the end result, when you look through this graph, is you see that overall there are more dots on the exploration side. So that's an exploration preference uh, with some dots on preservation. So there is some ambidexterity, ability to balance both. What do executive leaders look like? And I suspect that you might fit into this category, or a lot of you might. And I found this even with um, banking directors. They were all strong on exploration. And that makes sense because they have to be the strategic big thinkers who pull in teams of people to support them as they do their work. HR, there was a slight shift, so the strong focus on connection, collaboration, but they like their rules and guidelines. So there's the, 
the conserve our control bias. And I can hear a lot of you thinking, hmm, <laughs> that explains a lot of things. Science technology people were the most ambidextrous. So they had dots on both sides of the circle equally. And then we had the finance profile, which is most over the preservation side. Now, what gets even more interesting is when you put these two profiles side by side, and then you can see what the dynamic is between the different orientations. So I've got an innovation leader on the left side, um, very strong exploration orientation, and then you've got the finance profile on the right side, and that's pulling back into the preservation orientation. So you can see how if there's respect and trust, that's a great dynamic. You can hold that tension between the two dimensions. Where there's no respect or trust, it's highly destructive, and you can see them pulling in different directions, and there's no opportunity for synergy. I asked um, the most innovative companies in the world, and thankfully you picked the two that I'm using as examples, so we talked about Google. I want to talk about Apple next, because when I ask people who is the most innovative leader in the world, company leader, most people think of the profile of uh, Steve Jobs. And what did Steve Jobs look like? Well, he was a high explorer, very much pushing the boundaries in terms of his product. But when it came to leadership of the organization, he was actually too controlling. So he had to bring in Tim Cook to help build those systems and structures for stability. And Tim Cook focused on the supply chain, and he focused on the budget, and he focused on all those boring things that Steve Jobs didn't want to have to worry about. And because there was a great deal of respect between these two leaders, CEO and COO, the organization was at its most effective at this stage in time. And it's, it's often recognized um, by commentators that this is when Apple could sing, when they could do their best work. So it will be interesting to see what happens now that Steve Jobs is out of the picture. Is that going to mean that there's going to be too much of a, a preservation orientation? Just to go back to my case study, so I had the case study of um, the highly exploratory CEO, founder, who'd been in the organization for 15 years. Very strong exploration orientation, but also not collaborative, highly independent, which is quite typical of entrepreneurs. The GM comes in, and he's quite ambidextrous. He has a strong preservation orientation to pull the leader back in, the CEO back in, but he's also able to reach out to the CEO. And I took a transcript of a particular conversation and I actually plotted and coded the conversation to see, to track the dynamics, how they go backwards and forwards. So you can see here that the, the CEO starts talking and explaining that he feels like he's suffocating and drowning in all the systems that the GM has brought into place. So this is 10 months after the GM has been there. And we're drowning in minutiae. We're focusing on processes and metrics. And he's quite erratic in his conversation, um, trying to find solutions, but he's, he's quite emotional about it as well. So very much on the exploration side. The GM decides he's going to try to provide that counterbalance, and he steps in on preservation side, and he says, we need to get some control, some metrics in place, some measures. We need to dictate the terms. So he's pulling over to the preservation side. So you can see this polarizing situation happening, where they're pulling apart. So somehow they've got to come back together. And it happens even more in the next line, where the CEO says, we've got to you know, focus on the big picture. We've got to focus on the real conversations, develop a culture of trust. He's pulling back to exploration side by the end of that. And it's only in the last stage when the GM realizes, OK, I have to actually speak the language of the CEO and step over and empathize and show him that I can relate. 
um, that he starts with the solution, reaches out to the CEO, and then pulls it back in to preservation mode, to solutions. And this is an indication of how you can work with people, how you recognise you need to have that paradoxical cognition, know what position you are taking, and sometimes we take the devil's advocate position, we might switch for that reason. Um, but you need to know what positions people are taking and how do you speak their language, how do you reach out and connect with them effectively to, to bridge that gap and to move forward. So just to look into how you apply this in your organisation, it's like a car race where two sides of the road, exploration, preservation, there are times that you need to pull out wide and explore, times that you need to pull in close and preserve, put systems and structures in place. And a car racing driver doesn't just drive down the middle of the road, they continually adapt, and you need to do that. You need to look at the horizon, see what technologies are coming up next, what political, economic, social factors are coming up next, and you need to shift to adapt. And you can do that at the individual level. So when I work with um, leaders, I'll often draw on a flip chart just two sides of the road. And if I'm working with people individually, I'll say, well, where were you in the past in relation to these different dimensions? Where are you now? Where do you need to be? So you might have been quite controlling, need to move over, you know, develop a bit more openness and focus of freedom, and then you might need to lead towards that stability because remember these are sequential and there's an innovation pathway that we're taking. If you look at a team, one way you can do it is you can actually map the team, look at different positions and plot them so that you can make sure you've got a balance of people representing different sides. And there might be times in a meeting where you say, let's go into exploration mode, let's just suspend judgment, have a rapid ideation, and we're all going to shift over to that freedom side. And then there's time, okay, it's time now to go into preservation mode and pull in and actually look at some practical solutions and walk out of here with some action plans. So you need to know how to work with the team to balance those orientations. And then the organisation. So typically an organisation will go through uh, a, a stage of freedom when they're a startup, rapid exploration and expansion. They need to get some control in place before they can get stability, that balance between stability and flexibility in the future. And the final model that I'm going to show you is the spring, because I think this represents what the organisation needs to do. You've got to keep moving backwards and forwards to get that flexibility to support sustainable innovation over the long term. You know, move from startup mode to consolidation to expansion, so rapid shifting backwards and forwards, but recognising you need to take two steps forward, one step back, two steps forward, one step back, and that way you've got more sustainable innovation over the long term. And that model is based on a circle, which is very preservation orientated, plus the idea that we need some growth. So a typical growth chart, exponential growth chart, has this arrow pointing up into the future. But that's dangerous. It can be unsustainable. You need that arrow for growth, but you also need that circle, which a lot of traditional cultures have, that circle of protection. When you combine the two, you get a beautiful spiral, so it's sustainable growth. So again, just be aware when you're working with other people, how are you going to convince them to take on that new technology, um, to go with you to push the boundaries? How are you going to speak the language that they need to hear? How are you going to connect with them? And I believe that when you bring these two perspectives together effectively, balance that dynamic and that tension, that you can really fuel innovation and propel it forward. Good luck with that. Thank you so much.